0: Hey everyone, good morning and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. If you are visiting uh, with us for the first time, I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Maybe you're watching online uh, with us for the first time as well. Uh, We just want to say a special welcome to you and thank you for joining us here on this Sunday morning. We are very thankful to be worshiping with you. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we are going to get into our message for this morning. Lord, thank you that you are with us, you, you dwell with us through your spirit, you have come to be with us in your son Jesus so that you uh, may speak to us, you may guide us, you may give us wisdom so we may follow you uh, in this life, in this world, Lord, with all of its, uh, with all the craziness um, of it that we, we experience, God, um, on a constant constant basis, God. We're just thankful that you're with us. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning um, as we uh, start a new series, God, as we uh, listen to the word of, of your prophets, God, that you would give us uh, wisdom and hearts to hear uh, what you have to say to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So. Uh, you know, when you read the Gospels, you often find that Jesus um, has a kind of pattern in his ministry. Um, it's not not every time he interacts with someone, but often you'll kind of find uh, these kind of three things uh, involved with his interactions with people. So, first off, he'll do some sort of uh, healing or, or restoring of people people who are, are, are sick or who are ostracized in some way, uh, he'll offer a word of comfort to them, an invi- a, a, a welcome, an invitation into what he's doing, a kind of a gentle hand uh, to them. Uh, but then, to either to these people or, or maybe to the people that are watching what he had just done, he would offer some kind of challenge to turn from some path that they had been walking on and then the third thing he would do is offer them a sort of summons to come and follow him now, uh, to kind of walk in, in the path and in, in the kingdom that he was bringing onto earth. Now, when we kind of plan our, our series out at, at Res City, not just the series themselves, but a year, a lot of times we try to be really thoughtful about how we're putting everything together. Um, you know, we try hard to choose things that kind of meet, you know, us where we're at maybe, and kind of maybe speak to the moment that we are living in. Uh, Well, it's actually a really important thing to us, is to try to, you know, understand the world around us and be trying to, like, give you stuff that's relevant to help you walk in the midst of that as you, you know, leave on Sunday mornings. And so, this year what we're doing is we're kind of, that pattern I talked about with Jesus... I want us to kind of have that pattern in our three main sermon series that we're doing this year. So we just finished up, uh, He Refreshes My Soul. Um, You know, people are exhausted. People are feeling like they need to be restored. They need an invitation, a welcome to follow the Good Shepherd, a word of comfort, a reminder that the Shepherd loves us, that He wants us uh, to walk with Him um, and and to feel that connection to Him, that restoring, refreshing connection connection. And so we talked about creating rhythms of walking with the shepherd, of being comforted and refreshed by him as we follow him through life. And, you know, it's our hope that you don't, you don't stop some of those things, that, you know, like some of the stuff that we talked about in that series. It's our hope that you find ways to kind of incorporate those rhythms and patterns in your life so you can kind of continually be uh, refreshed. Um, but what we want to do now is we want to kind of turn to that idea of Jesus maybe challenging us, in a sense, as we start to walk with him. I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second, but just quickly, when we finish up this summer series in Jeremiah, which I'll talk about, like I said, here in a second, uh, we'll be kind of uh, going into that summons portion, um, and we'll be doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount, actually, um, from Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7. So I'm I'm excited about that one, where we kind of chart the path of living according to Jesus' teaching. Now, I think this pattern, this sort of uh, restore or comfort, uh, challenge, and summons is a really good natural like, rhythm or cycle for us as Christians to kind of be constantly moving through. So for now, though, I want to introduce this series where we're going to be do- allowing ourselves to be challenged a little bit um, in Jeremiah. It'll be our summer series. It'll we'll kind of run through the end of summer into uh, the beginning of September. And uh, I think if I'm being honest, like part of the reason I wanted to do this is because it's been stuff I've been kind of processing through the last year or two um, that have kind of helped me to make sense of kind of the time we're living in, and we're kind of talk about that here a little bit today, uh, but specifically for the church and kind of just some of the craziness around us. Um, and so today what I want us to do is I want to talk about what it looks like for us to read the prophets, the Old Testament prophets well, I want to talk a little bit about why we would still do that. We would still uh, read these really old books that are you know, before Jesus. Um, and I want us to you know, talk a little bit about Jeremiah specifically, to really dig into him and his context to set us up well for the rest of the summer. So that's what we'll, what we'll be doing today. Um, and to explain why we would read the prophets, uh, I think you know, the church... And I'm not just talking about Red City, I'm talking about the church, like the, 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 the worldwide collection of God's people, you know, gathering in different spaces and different types of worship, you know, every week. Um, it's kind of like a vegetable garden, okay? And specifically, I want to compare it to our vegetable garden at our house right now. Now, I don't know if this is uh, the case for you, if you have a vegetable garden, but ours is kind of a mess right now. We haven't really gotten out to do any work on it yet, um, and this is, you know, normally would be the time of year where you would go sort it out. So, you know, basically right now, our garden is filled with two things, weeds, lots and lots and lots of weeds, um, and then some stuff that we want to grow, but that have kind of grown and overtaken the whole garden, specifically basil. We have so much basil in our yard, um, and it's, it's really cool, we love basil, but like, that's not a garden. Like just a whole giant plot of land covered in basil and weeds is not really what you think of when you think of a good garden. And obviously, you know, we don't want the weeds. So every year, we haven't gotten to it yet, but you know, every year Julie will kind of come up with a plan for the garden. Things that she wants to build and plant within the garden. Uh, And we find some Saturday morning, maybe we'll go out and we'll till it and we'll kind of throw in the seeds and, and you know, we'll cut back the basil, we'll, we'll, till it, uh, we'll pull the weeds out and we'll kind of throw some of the seeds we want in there to grow to kind of set up us uh, for, uh, for the rest of the summer so that it will grow into like a full you know, well-rounded garden. Um, I think us for reading the prophets is kind of like that, okay? Um, if you feel like angst about something in the church, right? If you feel like God isn't doing, something about stuff maybe you're reading in the news, or you've seen yourself in different uh, churches, it's important for us to know that this is kind of how God works to, uh, to kind of go through and clean out the garden of his church, is by having uh, the prophets come, like the word of prophets come and speak to us to kind of challenge us. Okay? We know Israel had them, and we'll talk a lot more about what that looked like throughout the series for the, the ministry of these prophets. The early church refers to prophets in their midst kind of working. And even in Ephesians 4, where Paul is talking about these, uh, these sort of uh, offices or, or people that are you know, necessary to the growth of God's church, he mentions prophets in there. So I think it still has a role for us in the church, okay? but it's important for us to understand what the prophets do. And Jeremiah has a verse in it at the very beginning when he's getting his commission that I have found to be incredibly helpful for me to understand what the role of the prophets and the the words of the prophet even today are to look like. Okay, so this is Jeremiah one, nine to ten. And Jeremiah, he's kind of recounting, kind of autobiographically, what it looked like when God came and called him to be a prophet. He says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So right away in the prophet Jeremiah's commission from God, at the very beginning of the book, kind of explaining who Jeremiah is and what he's doing in Judah, he's, uh, he's told that he's to take God's word and to use it to uproot and tear down and then also to build and to plant. Okay, these two things are supposed to go together. It's, what it is, is it's God going into his garden and, and which is us individually and the church, our hearts and I think the church, the, uh, the, spa, the, the, the institution, the organizations that we're a part of, it's God going into those things and pulling out the weeds and trimming back the basil, the things that we might want but we have too much of, we're too focused on, to make room for a well-rounded garden to grow in its place. One that's not full of weeds and basil, but is full of the fullness of what God desires for his church and for his people, the type of fruit or vegetables that he wants us to bear in our lives. So when we study this book, we should be opening ourselves up to this word, allowing God to uproot and tear down certain things so that he may build and plant others, okay? Now I think it, it's clear, like, the church and all of us are in a constant need of that. But, you know, perhaps you could say, you know, now, like, some people use the word crisis sometimes to describe, you know, where the church is at right now. Like, uh, and, and we shouldn't shy away from that. Like, there are a lot of things in the church that we can sort of call out and say, this is, this is probably not okay. I don't think God wants this to be in his church. Okay? So here's an example. Um, a few weeks ago, I was at a, at a large gathering of pastors and ministry leaders here in the Twin Cities, and there's a guy named Russell Moore at it. You may, maybe have heard of him. Um, he's the public theologian for Christianity Today. He's also worked in uh, a few other spaces, um, uh, which I'll talk about here in a second. But he's at this event, and he, he said something that really stood out to me and some of the other people sitting around me, we chatted about this during a discussion time. Um, He said, young people used to leave the church because they found the the moral teaching to be too rigorous or they maybe didn't believe in the supernatural elements. He says, when I would interact with people like a decade ago, that's what I often found for people who were not interested in being a part of the church anymore. But he says, now I'm not finding that people leave for those reasons. Um, People are leaving because they think the church doesn't believe what it says it believes. And they've got the receipts to show that that's the case. Okay, that really stood out to me as a really good description, I think, of where we often find ourselves in, okay? Too often, I think, God's people don't believe, they don't take seriously the task of living holy, of living out being salt and light, in the spaces around us and soberly sort of looking at ourselves and being willing to challenge things or purge sin from our lives. It lives like God doesn't judge and care about things like justice and mercy or love or humility being the defining attributes of his people. Uh, too often I think it believes in, in power or, or politics or protecting itself, keeping itself just kind of comfortable, okay? And when he says that there are receipts to this, like oh boy, are there, right? I'm sure things are coming uh, to your mind. I'm sure, you know, as, as I kind of said that earlier, uh, a very recent example, and one Russell Moore himself is kind of a, a big part of, because it's a, the denomination he used to be a part of, the, the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if you saw this, like, recently. Like, a big report came out about it, kind of uh, talking about a massive cover-up or scandal um, in terms of sexual abuse. And it, it's very long. I haven't read the whole thing, um, but I, I've seen a lot of the, like, highlights of it. And, man, it's kind of mind-boggling to read it. In his, sort of like, his article kind of talking about it, Russell Moore says this. This is a quote describing it. Um, the conclusions of this report are so massive as to almost defy summation. It corroborates and details charges of deception, stonewalling, and intimidation of victims and those calling for reform. It includes written conversations among top leadership and their lawyers that display the sort of inhumanity one could hardly have scripted for villains in the television crime drama. Ouch! <laughs> right? These are the weeds that we're talking about here. Right? These are the weeds, the sin that is that you know we can often find growing up, even in God's church. So it doesn't look that different from organizations that are not in any way specifically God's people. Right? And we're we're shocked to find that stuff there, but we shouldn't be that surprised, I think, a lot of times to, um, to realize like that's the case a lot of times in the church. It's not just the SBC, right? It's not, and it's not just abuse. There's lots of things we could point to here, right? But let's be clear. These are weeds. These are things we do not want to be growing in the garden uh, of, of, God's, uh, of God's church, right? It, it is sin, and while it's like, listen, the church, as long as we are living on earth, is always going to have a mixture of this, right? There's, we, are, we are people who are sinners. The reason we're part of the church is that we're responding to the grace that has been offered to us, right? It's true, as St. Augustine says that there are, of the church, that there are many sheep outside it and many wolves within it, okay? And we can't always tell the difference in this life. That's all true, okay? We should, we should understand that that's the case but we have to acknowledge and deal with our issues. We have to let God pull the weeds out of his garden. And that's what I think what the prophetic word that he offers to us in the prophets is supposed to do. That's what it's there for, is to pull weeds out. In, in Jeremiah's time, he had, uh, pro- you know, there were other prophets other than Jeremiah. And they, a lot of them would say things like, oh, Peace, peace, things are not as bad as they seem here, guys. Let's, you know, things are, are totally fine. Quit Jeremiah, he is just overreacting. This is not a big deal. When that wasn't the case at all, and, and, and Israel was actually headed for, or Judah was headed for a cliff that they're about to go over, and Jeremiah's trying to warn them of this, and they ignored him to their own uh, peril. We can't be like that. We can't sweep stuff like this under the rug And refuse to deal with it, to pretend it's not there. Or just engage in, like, whataboutism, where we just say, well, what about all that, you know, stuff going on over there? We don't got to talk about our problems. We should talk about those people over there and how bad they are. Right? We can't do that as the church. We can't, you know, look at some other thing and discuss that to distract from our issues. We have got to be willing to let God pull the weeds out of our lives and out of our churches. Okay? Weeds, things that grow quick and easy, something that shouldn't be there, but grows easily if you don't keep an eye on it. Okay, we have to be very vigilant to uh, keep an eye out for that. Because we're talking about sin. Okay, that's let me be clear, that's what we're talking about when we talk about this. You know right? These are categories, sin it can make us uncomfortable to talk about sometimes, but it is central to Jesus' message, to Jeremiah's message, that there is sin in the world. It can infiltrate even our own hearts and the institutions, organizations that are dedicated to God, and we have to be vigilant to let God pull that stuff out. Um, in response, sometimes what we'll do is we will, you know, you know, we we can't let like uh, things grow out of control, like the basil I was talking about, right? Um, we can't let that take over the whole garden in our response to the weeds, okay? So, for example, in this SBC thing I'm talking about, we can't be, like, high on grace and forgiveness. Yes, we want grace and forgiveness to be very big parts of the garden, but we can't let it grow out of control to where we are not challenging people to repentance, right? Right? That, that That's something that we can get too focused on, maybe, to where we're not allowing the fullness of the garden that God wants to grow, where we're people that are high on grace and forgiveness, but we actually want people to repent. We want to challenge sin and not say that it's just okay, we're going to sweep it under the rug, okay? Uh, the worst part of this could be that we would say, you know, we care about some of the good things, and so... We cannot get off the hook for some of these other things that we're not that interested in actually dealing with. Because look at all the you know good stuff we're doing over here. We can't play that game either, okay? We can't think just because we've got a lot of basil, the garden is fine. It's a full garden. We have to be willing to cut some of that back in order to let the fullness of God's garden to grow. So what we need is from time to time to have God's word truly come and uproot the weeds, the sin. That, uh, that are there and be willing to kind of uh, pull back some of the stuff that's grown too much, right? That we use as a cover-up maybe to deal with some of our issues um, and, and, and let God plant what he wants to in his garden, okay? Now, unfortunately, then as now, uh, in the, the stories of the prophets in scripture, we often realize are actually stories of, of people who are unwilling to hear what God has to say. So even in Jesus' day, he, he, he reflects back on the ministries of people like Jeremiah and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. What he's saying is, despite the fact that God has sent these prophets to challenge his people to live in accordance with what he had called them to, they often were unwilling to listen to them. And Jesus, who was a prophet himself, was killed. Because the leaders at that time refused to believe that God was speaking, they just thought of Jesus as some troublemaker who needed to be silenced in order to allow their agendas to go through, in order to keep them comfortable or, or in power or in ease. Okay? So often the words of the prophets are rejected because it's not what people want to hear. Okay? We have to make sure when we come into contact with the same words That we are not just like the people of Judah who refuse to listen to Jeremiah and later on Jesus and miss what God is calling to, to our own peril. Because Jeremiah will talk a lot about the consequences of that in the book, and we'll we'll kind of explore that as we go. Okay, now, despite all that, okay, prophecy isn't just us sort of wallowing in how bad things are, right? It's just kind of complaining about, you know, some other people or or feeling miserable about how bad we are, right? As we realize that there is sin in what's going on, okay? We, we might think the prophets are just essentially like complainers, okay? I think that's some, sometimes like, you know, how we might hear prophecy talked about today, that all they wanna do is criticize some group of people or some system, um, they're all uprooting. They're all about pulling out weeds, right? But that kind of misses the point because yes, it's essential to do that work, but it's not the end because when we allow God to uproot things in our hearts, what we're doing is we're creating space for God to build and plant. To build and plant. That is ultimately what he wants to do. God very rarely, I think, wants to uproot for punitive purposes. Okay? He never wants to wound in order to kill. Okay? Some might bring judgment on themselves and how they, you know, respond to God's word. And we will talk about that in the book of Jeremiah. And, 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 and Jesus kind of says the same thing to those who rejected his own word. He kind of talks about the consequences of it. But God's ultimate goal is to build and plant. And so that's what we're calling the series, Build and Plant, the book of Jeremiah. God wants the full garden, all of the fruit of his spirit, to grow strong in us and in his church so that the church can be announcers of the good news of what God has done in Jesus, what he is offering to the world in Jesus. That it can be healers, people who are animated by God's love that has been poured out into their hearts through, by Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to really soak ourselves in the book of Jeremiah this summer. Okay, uh, I do think that there's a lot of crossover Uh, With our own moment, right? So we're going to try to draw parallels where we can. Um, There's a there's a reason we kind of you know wanted to do Jeremiah because we felt like there's some good touch points to maybe uh, the 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 times we're living in, and just reflect on that throughout our series, and ask what it looks like for us to uproot certain things so that God may build and plant. Um, We're going to go through different uh, you know sermons or messages or stories that are told in the book of Jeremiah, and just try to. Ask, how, do, how can we connect ourselves to what's going on here? And then tie it back to Jesus, his own ministry and what he is building and planting. So what I want to do here as we kind of, uh, you know, uh, wrap up the sermon is I, I want to just talk a little bit about what's going on in Jeremiah to help us really understand him to get us on the right footing as we kick off the rest of the series. I want to set the stage here for the, uh, for the rest of the series. Okay? Uh, now, to soak... Uh, in the book, we have to understand the times that Jeremiah ministered in. Now, here's the thing. Jeremiah is a very big book. I believe it's actually the largest book in the whole Bible. And don't worry, we are not going to read every word. Um, we are going to uh, try to, you know, uh, go through it and kind of pick out the stuff that is we think is most, most relevant here. And also, I'm just going to Kind of point this out, it's kind of confusing. There doesn't seem to be any like clear structure to it either, okay, which makes it a little bit difficult, a little hard to approach maybe. Um, but generally speaking, the first half of the book are mostly messages or sermons that Jeremiah gives that are kind of in poetic form. They're variations of the same basic message uh, that he uh, gives to Judah over 40 years. And the second half are mostly vignettes, they're mostly short stories that kind of talk about uh, Jeremiah as he delivers a lot of these messages or sermons that are found in the first half of the book. Um, But unfortunately, it's not chronological order, okay? So like I said, it's kind of hard to track with it. So we're going to try to do our best to sort of kind of make it coherent and help you understand uh, what's going on. Now, the first chapter of Jeremiah tells us uh, what we need to know about Jeremiah and his times by locating him on the map of Jewish history, And his prophecy takes place within this historical context. So, Jeremiah 1, verses 1 to 3. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Ananath in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And throughout the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Went into exile. Okay, so here are the main kind of uh, to help you understand like where in history this is taking place. Uh, the author is letting us know here is when Jeremiah is doing his ministry. Now in this period, Israel doesn't exist. The nation of Israel we often talk about in the Old Testament actually does not exist at this time. It, it had you know previously gone through a fracture uh, that had turned it into two nations. You had Samaria, which was sometimes also called Israel in the north. And you had Judah in the south. Now, many years before Jeremiah, Samaria had ceased to exist, basically. But Judah, where Jerusalem was, was still alive and kicking. And at this point, it's a a small nation kind of tossed around between this jockeying of power that's going on between large empires that surround it. As they kind of uh, box with each other, essentially, for supremacy of the area, Judah kind of gets tossed around between them. Okay, which means in Jeremiah's day, kind of like ours, uh, the politics of a world that's sort of in turmoil right, runs people's lives in a lot of ways. It's really helpful, I think, because we can kind of understand that. Now, Jeremiah comes from a priestly family. He serves over the course of three kings, which are mentioned here in this beginning part, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Uh, Josiah doesn't get talked about much in the book and he was kind of looked on in the history of Israel um, and, and Judah as a good king. He, he was one who was faithful to God. The other two guys, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, not so much. <laughs> they were known as weak leaders. Um, they were kind of back and forth in their policies. It kind of uh, waffled quite a bit. Um, They don't get along with Jeremiah. They're really uninterested in what he has to say. They are totally okay with introducing worship of other gods into the life of Judah and finding safety primarily in alliances with different nations around them, despite God telling them, this is not the way you're going to flourish by just trying to play the politics game just like everyone else around you. This is not going to work. They refuse to listen to him in that. They pretend that Judah is just like any other nation when it isn't with disastrous consequences. And that is foreshadowed in verse at the end of verse 3 where it says that Jeremiah's ministry officially ends when the people of Jerusalem go into exile. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But let me go on to verses 4 and 6. The word of the Lord came to me saying, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you; before you were born, I set you apart; I appointed you as a prophet to the nations." Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, "I do not know how to speak; I am too young." So at some point when Jeremiah is young, likely in his early 20s, it's hard to know for sure, the Hebrew word here can be rendered kid and can mean anything really from like a child to a young adult. Uh, God tells him, hey, before you were even born, I was planning to make you a prophet, to set you apart for this purpose. Uh, I knew you were going to serve in this purpose even then. So this isn't jury duty, right? This is not something that Jeremiah can easily wiggle out of when that's the case. But he tries his best. He says, "You wouldn't want me, God. There is really nothing special about me. I'm just a kid." Kind of sounds like Moses, actually, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, uh, when when God comes to him and calls him to a similar task to speak to God's people prophetically, to to do great work. Moses says, kind of a similar thing, like, "You wouldn't want me. I'm not that special." And God tells them in verses 7 through 9, uh, the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am too young. Uh, I, uh, you must go every, to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you uh, to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. God tells them, Hey, you'll be fine. You just say what I tell you to, and I will do the rest. I will make sure the rest happens. And he continues on in verses 10 to 12. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. Uh, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Okay, so God tells him what we talked about here before uh, your task is going to be to destroy and overthrow, to uproot and tear down, and to build and to plant in its place. What I want my people to hear. But then God kind of does this kind of calibration with Jeremiah, like a mic check. Like, is this thing on? Okay, and he kind of shows him a vision uh, of, a, of an almond tree. That's the translation here. Um, but what he's actually saying is, is a watcher tree. Now, this is a kind of tree that would bloom early in the year and watches spring as it comes. That was kind of how people understood it. As if it's waking up and watching the rest of spring to come. And this is kind of like a parable God is saying, okay? I'm going to give you my word. You're going to speak it. I'm going to watch over it to make sure that it has the purpose that I want it to. It won't be Jeremiah's job to judge whether or not the message is successful. It's God's. So it continues on in verses 13 and 15. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. The kings will come and sit upon their throne, set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Okay, so here we get the message that Jeremiah is going to spend 40 amazing years banging his head against people's frozen hearts, trying to get them to understand, okay? 40 amazing years of God's wonderful plan for his life, right? You've heard God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, Jeremiah's wonderful plan was to speak for 40 years and have no one listen to a word he has to say. Okay, Not the most fun-sounding commission, but it's what God had asked them to do. And this message is to turn from the things that God has called them to turn from, things that we'll talk about as we go through this series. And if they don't, disaster will be poured out then on them from the north. And this is key. This is kind of the constant refrain in the book. In the north, there is this fast-rising empire of Babylon, which... Swept up everything in its path, and this is well documented both in scripture and also in history outside of the scriptures. Uh, and it will come and it sweep its way through Judah as well. These will be the consequences of rejecting God. And Jeremiah becoming fodder for Babylon that hang over the whole book. Like I said, is const- kind of the constant uh, refrain that Jeremiah has. And as Jeremiah's story, or sorry, as Jeremiah is largely ignored, Judah's story ends in this great disaster of the exile. Okay? Uh, you know, basically, uh, eventually Babylon will come. They'll surround the city, um, and they will burn Jerusalem to the ground. That's kind of how the book ends, um, and it's told in other places in the Old Testament as well. Um, the king Zedekiah, he is captured. He is brought back to Babylon. His, uh, he watches his children killed right in front of him, and his eyes are burned out. Is a very grim ending. Um, And this end, which is kind of normally referred to as the exile, is one of the most pivotal moments in the whole Bible. When Jeremiah talks about real consequences, um, this is what he's talking about. Judah, and and so Israel, kind of ceased to be a sovereign nation. And it's not ever a sovereign nation again until, you know what year? 1948. Okay, when uh, the, the modern nation state of Israel is established. Okay? That entire period in between, uh, Israel just of be becomes a region. Even in Jesus' own time, it's just a territory of the Roman Empire called Judea and nothing more. Now God Jer- knows Jeremiah is going to be banging his head against a brick wall. So he says, I'm going to give you a helmet and protect you. And this is what he says in verses 17 to 19. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, and will rescue you. Okay? God is going to fortify him even more than the hearts of the people around him so that Jeremiah can have endurance to kind of continue on and do this. For 40 years. So, from time to time, Jeremiah would head up to the temple. Um, if he lived in Ananath, which it sounds like he probably did throughout this time, that was about three miles north of Jerusalem, God would give him a message. He would probably wait until people were gathered for some uh, feast or fast occasion. He would go preach in the courtyard. He would deliver this message that God had called him to, which makes up the messages of the book of Jeremiah. He'd maybe have some discussions with people uh, afterwards. Uh, sometimes he'd barely escape with his life. Uh, and then eventually he'd go home and he'd wait for God to give him another message and he would go back and do it again. Now in a sense, as I've been kind of uh, foreshadowing here, uh, Jeremiah fails. Okay? Not to what God called him to do. Okay? It's very clear Jeremiah fulfills what God asked him to do, but to have this message break through. Okay? Like we said, the people don't listen. They do not turn. But sometime after Jeremiah's death, or ministry ends at least, a group of curators or disciples um, collect his words, they compile his stories into a scroll, um, and it becomes the sort of authoritative story for what happened and why in this time of national crisis that Judah was going through, okay, it will now always be remembered as this is what happened to Judah It's because God sent his prophet Jeremiah and some others as well. The people refused to listen. Consequences came upon them. And, um, you know, the the people may have failed to listen to Jeremiah, but I I think the hope here for us and why we still read Jeremiah today is that by compiling this story, others would not make the same mistake as Judah in this time. Now, despite that, even in Jesus' own time, And the the, the pattern is repeated. Jesus comes, he tells people kind of the same message in a lot of ways. Okay, Turn from disaster, repent, follow me, and embrace uh, the the faithfulness and hope of God that has been uh, poured out into the world through the coming of Jesus uh, to uproot and to tear down and to let God build and plant. And unfortunately, the people refuse to listen to Jesus as well. Okay? This is just an example of that. In Luke 19, uh, we're told that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he, this is Jesus, he wept over it and said, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. This sounds a lot like what God tells Jeremiah in verse 15 of Jeremiah 1. The kings will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of Jerusalem. They will come against her and they'll surround the walls. Jesus is saying, The same kind of thing is going to happen to you. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And Jesus is right. He's vindicated, okay? A couple decades after Jesus' ministry, uh, the the armies of Rome come and, again, burn Jerusalem to the ground. It's a very similar scene to what happens um, in in Jeremiah. And throughout that time, you know, Jesus is is hinting at a greater judgment that will come beyond that okay and so i think now for us as we kind of read these words i think there's a call on us even as maybe we look at ourselves we're kind of grown we feel some angst about how things are in the world um, that we would uh uh, we would listen to these words that we would uh we would understand their consequences and we would turn we'd repent we would try to follow uh, god as much as we possibly can in this time I really think, like, as I look at the struggles of the church right now as I, and, and, and sometimes the resistance that we find even within the church to listen to God's word, I, I feel really truly convicted like this is what we need to be doing as a church. Returning to the words of the prophets, letting God uproot uh, and tear down so that he can build and plant. To be serious readers of Jeremiah and Jesus, it's our task to search ourselves in the light of God's word. But again, not for punishment okay? Jesus took on himself our punishment, right? That is not what we're talking about right now. We are uh, people who have been set free from any judgment on the cross. Jesus made it so that those who turn and follow him do not have to worry about judgment or consequence, okay? They can uproot, they can tear down in their own lives so that God may build and plant. But that means we have to constantly be searching ourselves, N.T. Wright says that the God who came to his people in Jesus will one day unveil his kingdom in all its glory, bringing justice and joy to the whole world. How can we get ready for that day? What do the, what do the roads, where do the roads need, to, need straightening out? What fires need to be lit to burn away the rubbish in his path? What dead trees will need to be cut down? And equally important, who should be summoned right now to repent? I think we all want God to build and plant in our lives in the world. Okay? I believe that that's true. We all want to see God do this. I think that's for sure. So the question is, are we willing to let him uproot first? Okay, Because that's the harder part. But here's the thing. Okay, There's no shame in that. There's nothing to hide. God's mercy and his forgiveness endure. Jesus took this judgment on himself. His grace overcomes and it finishes its purpose. And that's where there's hope, I think. Okay? God's church can be a huge mess. And Lord knows it has been a huge mess many times in its history. But we can be confident, we can be hopeful despite uh, any bad headlines, any receipts people might have. uh, Despite the church and ourselves finding it difficult at times to follow Jesus well, God isn't sitting on his hands. He's active, he's purifying, he's building and planting. And what we have to do, what we're called to do is simply to follow him and trust that things will be okay. We can have hope in that. So as we close the sermon today, um, we're going to be taking some communion, as always. Uh, as you take communion, ask yourself, like, uh, where do I need maybe to repent? Where are places that God is calling me? Maybe he's uprooting. He's looking to, to uproot something so he can build and plant in my life in some way. Communion is a good time to search yourself out and to take, if there is something that comes to your mind, to cast that on Jesus and on the cross because that's what we celebrate in communion. A God who has come, who has bore the sin of the world on himself, whose body was broken and his blood was shed for us so that we may have hope that God will build and plant in our lives. We're going to enter into a time of worship and if you need prayer for anything uh, as well at all, uh, Julie will be in the back um, willing to pray for anyone. So, so let's pray as we enter into that time of, of, of examination and worship of God. Lord, thank you that you do, you do work in your church. You do work in your people. You are willing to uproot so that you may build and plant. God, I pray that we would be people who uh, you have built and planted in our lives. That we would be a church that you have built and plant, that grows uh, the fullness of your word and of your garden Um, so that we may be people who are shining examples, we are uh, reflective of what it is that you want to build and plant in this world, so others may hear, they may turn, and they may come and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.